Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. I've entitled this talk this morning. We don't often talk about titles, but I'm kind of proud of this one, so I'll, I'll let you know. This one's called The Nightmare After Christmas. All right, you ready for this? Christmas is over, did you realize that? Is it, I always find it so funny how quickly the Christmas music ends. Like they started so early, I think it was playing in Superstore in November, and then it's Boxing Day, and then all the radio stations, no more Christmas music, done, moving on. I don't get that. Why wouldn't they just hold on to it? But Christmas is over. Nothing but the bills for all the presents and the extra pounds that we now get to work away at losing and the pine needles in the carpet that we're going to try and clean up and all the decorations that have to go back. Have you ever realized that artificial Christmas trees never fit back into the box they came in? Anybody else found that to be true? Maybe if you have a knack for putting them away, you could show me that afterwards. But Christmas is over. And this is the last Sunday of the decade. Not just the last Sunday of the year, the last Sunday of the last 10 years. The last Sunday of the 2010s. And then this week, we're going to move into the 2020s. That's going to take some work getting used to saying, right? 2020. I still remember getting used to 2003. Are you ready, though? Are you the person that you thought you would be in the place that you thought you'd be in at the end of the decade. Is that a scary thought? I remember 2010, I was starting my internship at True Life Church. I had just gotten engaged to the most incredible woman in the world. Now we're about to step into 2020. Crazy. Think about that for a moment. Daniel chapters 7 to 12. We are by no means going to cover five chapters of Daniel this morning. I'll just tell you that right off the bat. This is going to be a very light, very brief overview. We're not going to get really in-depth, because I know that you've had multiple Christmas parties, you've had turkey dinners, you've had late nights, you've had kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles running around terrorizing the house. There's things to be cleaned up, and still there's more parties to come with New Year's Eve and New Year's, and then going back to all the work and all that, you know? So I understand we're not ready for any mental gymnastics this morning. I totally get that. I'm not ready either. So we're going to keep it simple. We're just going to sit back, we're going to relax, and just take a quick overview of this. Um, We were actually sitting together in the kitchen as a family just yesterday and I looked at my wife and I got this horrified look on my face and I said I have forgotten two Christmas presents that I was supposed to give you for Christmas the reason was they were the first Christmas gifts I'd purchased I had wrapped them and I had hid them in the house in a place different from all the other gifts and I had totally forgotten so yesterday just before supper I go to the other part of the house, I find the gifts, I bring them in, and it was like Christmas all over again, right? The surprise, the wonder, the love, the family, and we opened those gifts together. Even though Christmas was a few days past, 
those wrapped Christmas presents brought back some of that wonder and some of that surprise, right? And it got me thinking about our topic in the book of Daniel this morning. I'd like to use this as an illustration and as a picture, but I also want to use it as a caution right off the bat. Throughout this story that we're going to be looking at in Daniel chapter 2, chapters 7, 8, and 9, we're going to be hearing from the angel Gabriel, among others, and one of the things they tell Daniel is seal up the word in a scroll until the time of the end. This isn't for right now. This is for the time of the end. So seal it up in a scroll. And I was thinking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. You remember the angel came and told her the news, and then she responded in a certain way. And then the angels came to the shepherds, and the shepherds gave the news to Mary, and she responded in a certain way. And then Simeon and Anna gave what they had to say, and then she responded. Do you remember how she responded? Mary pondered all of these things, treasuring them up in her heart. Do you remember that? And then Jesus, when he started his earthly ministry, he's healing all these people, and he had this really weird advice after he healed them. He would say, go and tell no one, because his time had not yet come. We're going to talk about the gift and how there's this beautiful tension. Before the gift is open, it could be anything. But once the gift is open, you know what it is, and that wonder and that surprise is gone. You can never get it back because you've seen what's inside the gift. We're going to talk about eschatology today. We're going to talk about these visions of Daniel and the end times. Daniel sees something that changes the entire world. He gets this little peek inside this mystical vision of the future. And he could have run to the king. He could have said, you know, King, you've had some crazy dreams. Well, check out this dream that I've had. I know what's going to happen in the end. That would make him the most popular man on earth, right? That would get him all the fame and fortune. Why wouldn't he just tear that gift open and reveal it to everybody as soon as he heard it? One theological theme, one characteristic that we are constantly seeing through Daniel and has already been mentioned this morning is that God is the most high God. God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Daniel refers to him as the Ancient of Days. He's been there, he's done that. Everything we are going to encounter this year, everything we're going to see in the whole next decade, God has already been there, done that. He has a plan, he's in control, and he wins in the end. Those are my main points. God is in control, God has a plan, and God wins. So we don't have to fear what's coming in the next decade. We don't have to look back at the 10 years and think, oh, I didn't measure up to my goals or my bucket list. We can look into the future and step in courageously and confidently in faith because God is in control, God has a plan, and ultimately God wins in the end. Amen? I don't know if you've ran into this in your Christian experience, but this is a very polarizing topic, the study of the end times and eschatology. People have more timelines and more conspiracy theories and more dates and people and names and all these contemporary issues that they feel they can fit into the study of eschatology. And it does more division than it does bringing unity. 
You have people trying to tie in Saddam Hussein and tie in the USA and tie in the United Nations because their symbol looks a certain way and it seems to tie in with what scripture says. I'm not really interested in going that deep this morning because if if we get that deep, you're going to be confused. I'm going to be confused. I'm going to say something wrong and it's not going to be beneficial for anyone. Is that fair? So we're going to keep it fairly light and do an overview this morning. As we're studying the future, our future, 2020, I want us to view it as a gift. Paul said, for me to live is for Christ and to die is gain. Every day that we get to spend on this earth is a blessing and an opportunity from God. So why don't we just take a moment as we begin and just thank and praise God and count our blessings of the time that he's allotted us. Why don't we pray together? God, I just want to thank you for who you are today. Thank you that you are the Ancient of Days. That you dwell outside of time that you have a clear view of the entire history and future of mankind and this creation that you have designed. God, we thank you that you're in control, you have a plan, and you win. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be victorious. God, I thank you so much for the days that you have allotted each one of us on this earth, for the blessings we get to enjoy, for the crisp snow, for the sunshine in the mornings, for the blessings of family and Christmas, Uh, family traditions, memories, loved ones. God, we thank you so much for all these blessings that we get to enjoy. God, we pray as we dig into your word and we seek to understand some of these deep truths of what you revealed to Daniel and to King Nebuchadnezzar. God, we just pray that you give us wisdom and understanding and above all that, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives and be better people because of it. God, help it not just to be head knowledge, but help it to be heart knowledge, Father that it would change the way that we live and that we would be more and more like Jesus Christ because of the conversation we will have today. God, we praise you for who you are. We place 2020 into your hands. We thank you for the year that has been. In Jesus' name, amen. I am going to do some more teaching this morning than I'm used to. And the difference between teaching and preaching is one plays to the head and one plays to the heart. Teaching is all information. Preaching is declaring that information so that it changes the way you live today. Okay? We're going to do a little more teaching today. So I want to start with a chart. You ready? Who likes charts? Okay, very good. We're going to dig into a little history. This chart, the first chart, if we could have it up on the screen, is going to set a framework for our discussion today. The dreams and the nightmares that we're talking about today fit into this framework right here. These are seven world powers that we can see throughout history. So I'm going to go through them really quickly. Number one is Egypt. We hear all about Egypt through the book of Genesis from Abraham and Sarah, Joseph, Moses. We know that Egypt is a big player, a big world power. Uh, Egypt ruled and reigned from 2100 BC to 1400 BC roughly. After that, Assyria took charge, the second world power. From 1100 BC to 606 BC, the capital city was in Nineveh. I believe that's where Jezebel was from. You remember Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah and Elisha. We talked through those characters this past year. The Assyrians led much of Israel into captivity, as we've been reading. Israel is currently in captivity. And the third world power is Babylon. They took charge. 606 B.C. to 538 B.C. This is where we're at in the story. 
we're really familiar with Babylon, right? Babylon is the city of lions that we talked about, the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, Daniel and his three friends, the fiery furnace, the statue, the lion's den. We've talked about these things. And then number four, the Medes and the Persians, Medo-Persia. 538 B.C. to 333 B.C. This is where we're at in Daniel's story right now. Remember, King Darius took over Daniel in the lion's den. Cyrus was his nephew and quite potentially his son-in-law. A bunch of facts that probably went in one ear and out the other, but now I'm reminding you of them. King Cyrus eventually freed the Israelites to return to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the city 444 BC. That's a pretty key date. Then Artaxerxes released them to rebuild the city. The sixth world power, Greece, 333 BC to 146 BC. This is crazy, and history knows this well. You probably heard this all through your history classes. Alexander the Great led Greece to a world-dominating victory in just 10 years. 10 years, one decade. Think about what you've accomplished over the last decade. This guy ruled the world in 10 years, the ancient world. Incredible. It's probably not what we accomplished in the last 10 years, but good for Alexander the Great. The Greek language and culture spread throughout the whole known world, which set things up for the arrival of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the world. Number six, Rome, 44 BC to 455 AD. Jesus' birth. Caesar Augustus ruled the world. They didn't have much challenge in that time. You've heard all roads lead to Rome. This made for easy spreading of the gospel and relative peace. And then the final one listed here is just a mixture of world powers. Today we can see that there are many different nations that rule many different corners of the continent. It's not one world-dominating power. Make sense? All right. I told you, we're going to go through quick and brief and just do a quick overview here. First Daniel deals with the who and the what, and then he gets to the when. So we're going to save the when for the end, all right? We're going to talk about the who and the what right here and now. Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue and the stone, it's in Daniel chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Uh, throughout my talk this morning, we're going to be showing charts up on the screen, and for certain of these charts, I'm going to be reading the scripture and you're going to be looking at the chart and it's going to show how it corresponds with these seven world powers. All right? So feel free to turn to Daniel chapter 2. But as I read this section of scripture, we're going to be looking at the chart on the screen so that you can follow along. Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue and the stone. Daniel chapter 2. I'll start reading in verse 36 if you want to follow along but feel free to pay attention to the chart on the screen. It will help to clarify. I'm an image-driven person. I don't know if you've noticed that. It's part of my personality, something I'm working on. The Bible says that faith is not just by sight. It's something that I got to work on. I'm an image-driven person. Daniel chapter 2, verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. This is Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. 
The head of gold in the statue is Babylon. That's what Daniel says. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. We know that the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon. So that's the Medes and the Persians. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. That's Greece. You remember Greece conquered the entire known world in just 10 years. Verse 40, and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. That's Rome. We know that Rome took over next. Verse 41, and as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay, partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. How many toes do most people have? Ten toes. Okay, keep that in mind. Most people. I've met some people who don't. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. These are mixed world powers. The world is not dominated by one world power. This is a mixed, uh, the mixed world powers. But listen to this promise. I love this, and I think we have this to show on the screen, because this is really important. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another like all the kingdoms of history that we've been looking at. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw a stone cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God is made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, its interpretation sure. How does that change the way that we view history? How does that change the way that we view our life currently right here, right now? That God's kingdom supersedes all the kingdoms of this earth and that through Jesus Christ, the stone that was formed without hands, all the kingdoms of this earth come crumbling down, and God sets up his eternal, everlasting, forever kingdom. How does that change the way that we should live? We should go into this life victorious, shouldn't we? We should start every day with our head held high, because if we know Christ as our Savior, then we are victorious, as Daniel says, that Christ is victorious. It should change the way we live. God is in control. God has a plan. God wins. Through Jesus, our future is secure. Do you ever think about 2020 and think about the next 10 years and just think about what they might bring? You think to the future and, I don't know, maybe you get a little anxious, maybe you get a little stressed, maybe you're thinking, I'm not really entering this year the way that I wanted to. I didn't really finish last year in the black. I don't really have my checklist finished by the end of the year, but God's in control. God has a plan, and God wins. Through Jesus Christ, we are victorious. What if we started 2020 with that mindset? So there's a train of four kingdoms following Babylon adding more and more violence to the storyline of Scripture. But one day, ultimately, God's kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ will supersede all earthly kingdoms and set up its forever kingdom. Daniel chapter 7. So that was the interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's nightmare in Daniel chapter 2. Now we're going to look at a nightmare that Daniel has in Daniel chapter 7, and the two of them correspond 
pretty much perfectly. All right, so we're going to keep this chart up here. First, I'd like to read Daniel chapter 7, 1 to 2, and then we'll go to the chart, just to give some context. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, who's Belshazzar? Nebuchadnezzar's son, okay? So keep in mind, this isn't necessarily chronological to the chapters in the book. We're in chapter 7. The Medes and Persians are ruling. Belshazzar is long gone. We're going back in the story. Daniel is recalling something that took place during the reign of Belshazzar. Daniel saw a dream, visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Can I make a little point? This might be a pet peeve of mine. I don't know, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you want to remember something, write it down. Can I hear an amen? amen. <laughs> Don't think that it's going to float around up there and magically give you a reminder when it's time to do what you're trying to remember to do. Write it down. Daniel had the vision, the dream, and he wrote it down. I think there's a principle there. A little more than just a pet peeve, maybe. I'll try and stay away from pet peeves for the remainder of my talk. Verse 2, Daniel declared... I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. So let's show chart number three, and I'll try and make sense as to how these fit together by reading the rest of Daniel 7 here. It ties in really well with Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue in chapter 2. So here's the first beast, verse 4. The first was like a lion. It had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the ground, made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. Who does that sound like? Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't it? He lost his mind, thought he was an animal. He grew hair like eagle's feathers and eagle's claws. And then he was stood back up, his glory was given to him, his mind came back to him. We know that the symbol of Babylon is a lion, so a lion with wings like an eagle. It's a picture of Nebuchadnezzar. It ties in with the gold head of the statue. Verse 5, And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. That's the Medes and the Persians. Remember how we said Cyrus of Persia was really the one to conquer. Persia was stronger than the Medes, but they had this pact. That's why the bear is raised up on one side, because the Persians are stronger than the Medes. And the three ribs in their mouth, that's three kingdoms, three nations, three people groups that they conquered in order to get to where they were. So the bear raised up on one side with ribs in its mouth are the Medes and the Persians. Verse 6. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. What do you know about leopards? They're swift, right? Oh, I like this. I, I thought I wasn't going to get an answer, and I was going to say, I don't know much about leopards either, but you beat me to it, so thank you. And then it had wings, which speaks to its swiftness as well. And we know that Alexander the Great, I'm going to keep saying this, he conquered the ancient world in 10 years. He was swift. He was fast. And the four heads and the four wings speak to the four kingdoms that composed that army for Greece. All right? Does that make sense? 
Maybe you're wondering, what does any of this have to do with me? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. That sounds like a nightmare. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. How many toes on the average human body? Ten. Okay. We tying this together? Verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. The final beast, different from all the others, the final world-dominating powers, ten different kings. And then that little horn that comes up is a picture of the Antichrist, the one who boasts great things, the man who speaks incredible things. He's promising peace and a future, but really he's just a tool in Satan's hand. That's the final world power before the end. And then chapter 7 goes on. It gives this incredible picture of God. He's called the Ancient of Days. He's setting up his kingdom. He's destroying the final beast. He's destroying the Antichrist. He's judging the world. He's giving Jesus dominion and authority and power to rule over all. And here's Daniel's response. Get this. I like this. This gives me hope. He says, I don't understand. That's kind of what I feel like studying out this passage. Daniel does not understand. So he's got to reach out to somebody standing next to him in the dream, in the vision, and ask them, hey, can you explain to me what's going on? And here's what's said in Daniel 7, 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, as history has shown us. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. I love how it draws back to the overall theme. God's in control, God has a plan, and God wins. We can go into this new year, we can go into the next day, we can go into this week with our heads held high, because through Jesus Christ, we have the victory. Then basically Daniel says, okay, can you explain it to me a little further? I think I'm tracking with you, but I'm not really catching it. Keep in mind, this is Daniel. This is a big figure in the Old Testament. He's the one that interpreted everybody's dream because an excellent spirit was found in him. And now he's saying, do you think you could help me understand just a little further? I like that. It gives me hope. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 and 26. This is fairly key to the understanding. Speaking about the Antichrist, that little horn that comes up on the final beast. He shall speak words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall be given into his hand for a time, for times, and for half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, his dominion shall be taken away, and be consumed and destroyed to the end. I love how God's sovereignty is just stated over and over and over again. All the fear, all the trepidation of these nightmares, and it's always finished off with God saying, I'm in control, I have a plan, and I win. I love that. Can't say it enough. But a time means one year, and times means two years, and half a time means half a year. 
That's three and a half years that Bible commentators will point out, which we will dig into a little later in chapter 9 when we give a quick overview there. And then Daniel's left. He's stressed and he's anxious. I mean, wouldn't you? If you just got a vision of what's going to happen in the future and what the end's going to look like, and you saw the terrible beasts climbing out of the great sea that the wind had swept up, I have no idea what that would have looked like. Wouldn't you be stressed out and anxious? Do you ever face the future with fear and trepidation and anxiety and stress and how's this going to work out and this looks scary, what's coming up and I don't know how I'm going to work the schedule and I don't know with our kids going to school this year how we're going to make that work or we're trying to make a move to another house, how's that going to work or the car needs to be replaced or the heating unit on the roof of the church facility is going to need to be replaced, all these big scary things coming in and we can look at the future with a lot of fear and trepidation. But I can't say it enough. God is in control. He has a plan. And God wins. Through Jesus Christ, we can be victorious. Thank goodness the end of both Nebuchadnezzar's dream and Daniel's dream ends with God's sovereignty. God's in control. Why, do, why don't we be a people who believe what the Bible teaches and exemplify that in our lives? You know, we, we call ourselves Faith Baptist Church. Why don't we be a people of faith? So that as we're stepping into the unknown, as we're stepping into the future, as we're looking at the future and it's concealed and you don't know what's coming and you want to take a peek, you want to shake that bag, you want to feel it to see if it's heavy, you want to know what's coming because we like to be in control. Why don't we be a people who's known for our faith? That we would step into the new year with courage, with confident faith, so that when the rest of the world falls apart, the people in the community would look to God and look to his church to know where to step next. Why don't we be a people like that? Let's start 2020 with confident faith. Let's be leaders who step into the unknown because God's in control, God has a plan, and God wins. Daniel chapter 8. You ready for another dream, another vision, another nightmare? Are you? I don't think I heard a response. Maybe you're thinking about the New Year's Eve party and if you have everything you need and when the stores are going to be open this week. I don't know. Daniel chapter 8, another vision. Let's show the fourth chart here and we'll see how it fits together. The vision corresponds with chapter 2 and chapter 7, I believe. There's a ram with two horns. One is larger than the other, the larger one coming out last. That's the Medes and the Persians, the bear that's raised up on one side. Cyrus the Great, larger than Darius of the Medes, the Medes and Persians, the ram with the two horns. And then this male goat comes onto the picture and he's got one giant horn. And the wording of scripture says it's as if he was flying because he's going so fast and so swift. And I'm going to say it again. Alexander the Great conquered the ancient world in 10 years. Swift, fast defeat, took out the Medes and the Persians. The The ram and the male goat with one horn. And Daniel just knows how to encourage me because he doesn't understand again. He sees the vision, he's got to ask somebody. And then Gabriel the angel is summoned to explain what the vision means, which I think is just incredible. So Gabriel comes, he explains further, he makes sense of these two characters and how they fit in. 
And you know what Daniel does? He falls asleep. Which encourages me all the more, because I know here with Faith Baptist Church, you would never fall asleep when somebody was giving you an understanding of what's going to happen in the end and all these scriptures. That would never happen. So we're just going to leave it at that. But Gabriel explains the ram as Medo-Persia and the goat as Greece with the four kingdoms coming out of it, four horns coming out of that center horn, and then the Antichrist to rise up against God. But he would be defeated, as we saw in Daniel 7 and Daniel 2, because God's in control, he has a plan, and he wins. I want that to be drilled into your mind before we're finished this morning. So that's Daniel covering the who and the what. And then in chapter 9, Daniel gets into the when. Daniel gets into the when. Do you know how many times my son asked, leading up to Christmas, how many more days until Christmas? Well, son, there's 20 days until Christmas. And then he'd be all excited, and then, you know, you'd have to explain, here's how much 20 is, and we'd count it out on our hands, and then he'd go, oh, really, 20 days? And then he'd come back and ask again, 15 days, and you have to explain 15 days. There was a sense of joy that was lost when he found out how much more time there was going to be until Christmas. And you know, I think, if we really knew the time, if we could really open up and reveal what is concealed and see exactly when it would be, I hear senior citizens in the church say all the time, and I think this comment is birthed out of faith and I hope I can say it when I get to be that age. Maybe I should be able to say it now. But they often say, I'm ready for Jesus to return. Have you heard that? I'm ready. But would you really want to know how many days you have left? I don't think you would. I've often said God doesn't give us the whole story. He just gives us the next chapter, the next step. Because if we knew the whole story, we'd be in the corner of our bedroom scared to leave the house. If we opened up and revealed when all these things were to take place, I think there's a reason why God keeps it hidden, why God keeps it concealed, why the angel told Daniel to seal these things up in a scroll because they're for a later date. You know, there's, there's this beautiful tension in a Christmas gift, you know? I don't know if the wonder and the amazement and the excitement of the season around Christmas, maybe you've lost some of that as you've grown older. I know I've lost some of it, but I still have some. When you see those Christmas gifts wrapped and placed under the tree, and you're looking at the different shapes and sizes and the wrapping paper that was used, maybe you give it a shake, maybe you hold it up to the light, maybe you listen to see if there's a little ticking sound. I don't know what you do. But there's something that happens on Christmas morning or whenever you open your gifts, Christmas Eve, and you open that present. In that moment as you are opening, there's this wonder and surprise and excitement of this could be any number of things, right? Maybe you're smarter than me and you have it figured out before you ever open it, but I'm always dumbfounded. I don't know what's coming. So as I'm opening it, the moment that is opened and you see what it is, the wonder is gone. The surprise might continue for a moment, but then it's gone. And the possibility of all those other things that it could be are gone in a moment. Hopefully you're excited and you're satisfied with the gift, but the wonder is gone. If God were to open up 
eschatology and future things and the end times and fully explain when all these things were going to be, it would lose its wonder, wouldn't it? It would just become a schedule to add to your calendar and to fret and worry and be anxious about. If we really knew how many days we had left, how would we spend those final days? Would we chew away at our bucket list? Or would we live for God? Would we use the time that we have to tell people about Jesus Christ and how they can be victorious through Jesus because of what's coming in the end? The fact that God is in control, He has a plan, and He wins. How would we spend our final days? Our future is a gift. And it's only known by the gift giver himself. And we get to unwrap it moment by moment, day by day. It's called progressive revelation as we get to see more and more of the history of mankind unfold. But God's the one who gave the gift. He knows what your future holds. He knows what 2020 holds. He knows what all the 20s hold. He he knows where you're going to be, what you're going to be like, what you've accomplished by the end of the next decade. We're not invited to unravel it and reveal it all at once. All right, let's touch on chapter 9 before we conclude. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. The who, the what, and now the when. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, or Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. You know, the first thing I like about this is even Daniel, the big Old Testament character that he is, full of confidence, full of wisdom in interpreting these strange dreams because an excellent spirit is found in him. He has to go to God's word to attempt to understand the future. Did you catch that? He's got to look at the copies of the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah that he has in his possession, to see what Jeremiah says about the future. He goes to God's Word. He doesn't go to Google. He doesn't go to Siri. He doesn't go to Wikipedia. He doesn't ask the lady at the corner store. He doesn't put all his faith in the predictions of the weatherman. He looks to God's Word. I like that principle. Here's what Daniel's saying. Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah talks about... 70 years of the desolations of Jerusalem. Daniel interpreted it to mean 70 years of captivity in Assyria and Babylon and then in Persia. 70 years. And Daniel's getting a little, seems like a little antsy, maybe a little stressed. And he's thinking these 70 years are pretty much up. We should be freed by now. We should be sent back to our homeland. There's not much time left. So then he turns to God in prayer. And it's a prayer of praise, a prayer of thanks, and then a prayer of request. I love that Daniel, such a big Old Testament character, turns to God's word, and then he turns to God in prayer. He's concerned about the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He thinks, based on what Jeremiah said, that they're coming to the end of captivity. He's not sure. So he turns to God's word, and he turns to God in prayer. 
What if that was our first response? What if we followed Daniel's example and went to God's word and then talked to God in prayer? What if we embraced the truth and then we enjoyed community with God before we engaged in the mission? Going to God's word and then going to God in prayer. You know, the other thing I thought of was that this is the first year of Darius, the king of the Medes and the Persians. And the story that we talked about just two weeks ago was Daniel in the lion's den. You remember that? And Darius was the king in charge. And why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Because he prayed. And here, Daniel's praying in the first year of King Darius of the Medes and Persians. I wonder if this was the theme of his prayer when he was caught and thrown in the lion's den. I wonder if this is what Daniel was praying three times a day in his room on his knees with his windows open towards Jerusalem. If he was praying for Israel's future, for his future. Just a thought. Daniel prays. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. The angel Gabriel appears again to explain further. Chapter 9 and verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, that's what Daniel was waiting for, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Did you catch all that? I, I love that final line, the decreed end. Only God knows the appointed time because God's in control. God has a plan and God wins. I'll touch on the math for just a moment, but we won't go too deep because... I'll confuse you, I'll confuse me, and I'll say something wrong, and it won't really benefit any of us. So we're just going to do a, a brief overview. But let's, uh, let's just show the fifth chart there, if we could. And it's, it's a big, extensive one. If you want a copy of it, feel free to email me this week. I'll send it to you. But the terminology in this passage of Scripture is referring to years. Seventy weeks of years, which is 490 years the first 69 weeks refer to the end of the Persian captivity to the end of Jesus Christ's ministry on earth. Somewhere in there, the numbers line up to 483 years, 69 of those weeks. When you look at the numbers from the permission that was granted to Ezra, to Nehemiah, uh, 444, 445 B.C., when they were allowed to go back and start rebuilding the temple, which took 49 years to rebuild, 
and then 434 years to get to Jesus' rejection. It comes out to 69 weeks of years, 483 years. Confusing enough? If you want the chart, I'll send it to you this week. But that leaves one week of years, seven years. And you know how we pointed out earlier on, three and a half years, a time, a times, and half a time. Half of those seven years that we now refer to as the tribulation are going to be terrible. The Antichrist is going to be in control. Um, this one week of years, seven years, is the tribulation. Um, and if you, if you read on in Daniel, which we're not going to do today, it gives more light on the tribulation, more numbers that correspond with the numbers that we've talked about all the way up to chapter 12. But this is such a polarizing topic because people approach it so dogmatically and throw in different dates and different names as we've discussed. I don't really want to do that today. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. I like that. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Man, if we were to unwrap that gift and know what our future holds and know the time, know the seasons, know the date, I think it would just scare us to death. I don't think it would do us any good. We need to embrace that tension, the wonder, the surprise, the adventure day after day, year after year, and the decade to come. God knows. God's in control. God has a plan and God wins. You know, I used to travel with uh, ministry teams from our school. And we went to a place in Quebec, rural Quebec. There was nothing there. We stayed with an old French farmer on his farm. And the moment that me and, and the two college students that I was with, the moment we stepped into the house, it was right into this end times debate and eschatology and dates. And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? I think he gave us a quick tour of the house. We set our bags down and then he said, I've recorded this TV program. I want to know what you think. So we all scurried to the living room. He pressed play on his little big box TV. And the opening line, I'll never forget it, was this gentleman standing in a suit and he was holding a microphone. He was standing on stage. And he said, it's been said, no one knows the times or the seasons. But that doesn't mean we can't figure out the month or the year. And then it went into a whole episode of talking about history and how does this correlate with this and showing historical photos and then tying them in with descriptions from Daniel and from the Old Testament. And we watched the whole thing. And then he stopped it and he turned and he said, what do you think of that? And I just didn't know what to say. How does this benefit anybody? You know, people have claimed, you remember the year 2000 when we stepped into this millennium and Y2K bug, and you better update all your technologies, and it's going to be the end of the world. And then you remember 2012 was a big date that people set the world's going to end, the tribulation is going to start, and people bought into that. People are still doing it today. Why can't we just embrace the tension and leave the wonder of what is to come in the hands of the giver of the gift? Why can't we do that? Why don't we all stand this morning? We're going to close in prayer. And if you're comfortable, I'd like you to put your hands out with your palms up. And this just simply symbolizes surrender. 
giving up control, and offering a gift to God. We've given gifts back and forth all Christmas season. Let's give a gift back to God. And I want the gift to be our future. 2020, the next decade, let's offer it back to God because He's the one who's given us everything we have. Why don't we offer our futures back to God? Let's pray together. God, I just want to praise you this morning. And as we talk about eschatology and end times and some of these confusing subjects, God, we could spend days and weeks and months and years stressing and being anxious and trying to figure out dates and names and places and where we fit into this and where Israel fits into this. God, help us just to leave it in your hands. God, help us to be a faith-filled people who can step into a new year and a new decade with confident faith and trust in you. Because you're in control, you have a plan, and ultimately you win in the end. Your kingdom supersedes all the kingdoms of this earth, and through Jesus Christ, we are victorious even today. God, we thank you for the moments that we share. We thank you for the days that we get to enjoy for the family and friends who come around this time of year, for the excitement we have for what's to come in the new year, in the new decade. But God, there's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of insecurities. There's a lot of questions yet to be answered. There's a lot of schedule to be filled out and bills to be paid and decorations to be cleaned. God, I pray that we would approach all of that with the sense that you are in control. That this day, this week, this month, this new year, this new decade all belongs to you. You are a good father who gives good gifts to your children. And the gift of whatever future that you give to us, God, we want to praise you before we ever receive it. And God, we want to give it back to you. Make us fit for your use, Father. Help us to engage in the mission. Help us to share the journey as Faith Baptist Church. That this year, we wouldn't sit back let other people tell people about Jesus, but that we would be the ones to lead the charge, that we would give our future for the cause of Christ, that our communities, our neighborhoods, our cul-de-sacs would all be changed because we trust you. And we want others to know that they can have victory through the shed blood, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for these things. We pray your blessing on the new year. We thank you for what has been, for what is, and for what will be. Thank you that you are the God of yesterday, today, and forevermore, that your kingdom will be established forever. God, we thank you that you're in control, that you have a plan, and that you win through Jesus Christ. God, we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.